Psalm 25. All right. We are going to look at the entire psalm this morning. Uh, 22 verses. Uh, Let's go ahead and read it, and then we'll pray. And it is my prayer that God will use this psalm to enrich us this morning. It is a psalm of David. To you, O Yahweh, and remember that Lord is Yahweh. To you, O Yahweh, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Do not let me be ashamed. Do not let my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none of those who wait for you will be ashamed. Those who deal treacherously without cause will be ashamed. Make me know your ways, O Yahweh. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day. Remember, O Yahweh, your compassion and your loving kindnesses, for they have been from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your loving kindness, remember me, for your goodness' sake, O Yahweh. Good and upright is Yahweh, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in justice, and He teaches the humble His way. All the paths of Yahweh are loving kindness and truth to those who keep His covenant and His testimonies. For Your name's sake, O Yahweh, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. Who is the man who fears Yahweh? He will instruct him in the way he should choose. His soul will abide in prosperity, and his descendants will inherit the land. The secret of Yahweh is for those who fear Him, and He will make them know His covenant. My eyes are continually toward the Lord, for He will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Look upon my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Look upon my enemies, for they are many, and they hate me with violent hatred. Guard my soul and deliver me. Do not let me be ashamed, for I take refuge in you. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. Let's pray. Father, we do praise you this morning. We thank you that we have cause to praise you. And now, as David prayed that you might redeem Israel, we pray that as those you have redeemed, you might guard us, you might protect us, you might redeem us out of all our troubles as well. Father, having read your word, I pray that your people will hear your voice with obedient faith, that you will be the one who is glorified today that you will be the one who receives the glory, the honor, the praise, Lord, and that we, your people, will be edified and that you, you will send us out today as the people who you got. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Psalm 25 is where we're at. And just kind of want to, before we get into what was said, I want to kind of set the tone for us. Um, one of the 
most famous psalms is Psalm 23, The Lord is My Shepherd. And one of the most poignant and saddest paragraphs in Scripture is found in Matthew 9. And Matthew 9, Jesus is going through the towns and the villages of Galilee, and He's looking upon the people, and He has compassion for them. And why does He have compassion for them? Because they are distressed and dispirited, Matthew writes, like sheep without a shepherd. That's one of the recurring motifs in the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, that that God, that Jesus is our shepherd. We see this also in Isaiah chapter 53. In Isaiah 53, we read that we are all like sheep who have gone astray. Each of us has gone and turned to his own way. But Yahweh has caused the iniquity of us all to fall upon him. God the Father has caused our sins, and we talked about this earlier, this propitiation in 1 John 4.10. God has caused the, the sins of us all to fall upon the suffering servant, His Son Jesus, the Messiah, who bore the guilt of sin in our place on the cross. And that shepherd motif is probably best remembered from Psalm 23. If you've never... Um, heard it before, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. If you've been to a funeral, you've probably heard it. It is two psalms before the one we just read. And in in Psalm 23, it's Yahweh who is our shepherd. It's Yahweh who leads us. It's Yahweh, the Lord, who restores our soul and guides us, guides us. God is our shepherd. In John 10, Jesus is the good shepherd who lays down His life for the sheep. And we hear His voice. His sheep hear His voice and He knows them and they follow Him. And then in the next Psalm, Psalm 24, the Good Shepherd is also the King of Glory. We get this, 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 uh, this difference between the shepherd, the lowly, humble shepherd uh, kind of picture in Psalm 23 to the King of Glory in Psalm 24. The earth and all it contains belongs to Him. God is the one who blesses His people in Psalm 24, with righteousness. And then then that brings us to Psalm 25. And Psalms is not like a book like Romans or Matthew where one chapter just flows right into another. Sometimes the Psalms are, are isolated from one another, but they arrange the Psalms. The Hebrews, the Jews, arrange the Psalms inspired by the Holy Spirit in a certain order. So we do get this shepherd motif in Psalm 23, the King of Glory in Psalm 24, and now Psalm 25... It is a psalm of David. That It says a psalm of David right underneath the title of Psalm 23 probably. And, and whereas those commentaries and the, the references on the side are not inspired, psalm of David actually is in the, the text. So we know it's David. And, and he is a man and a king who as much as he was blessed by God, we also know if we look at the Word of God, he was very imperfect. He was constantly pressed in by his enemies, by his hardships. Many of those were of his own making. Um, David was a sinner. And and if you ever feel like, how could God love someone like me? Think of David because he was a sinner. And even though he was a sinner who committed adultery and basically was complicit in the murder of that woman's husband and later on disobeyed God with a census and other things, Despite that, you know what the Bible says about him? That he was a man after God's own heart. And if you had have an epitaph on your tombstone, 
that you can't really do better than a man after God's own heart. And he was such that, that centuries after his death, the kings of Israel and Judah will be judged by whether or not they walked in the ways and served the God of their father David. So in spite of his sin, David is a model for us today because by and large he sought to be guided by God. And that's how it should be. That's how it must be. If we're going to call ourselves Christians, if we're going to say that Jesus has saved us from our sins, we've got to be living in an accordance with what the Bible says about the kind of people that God guides. Shaken by the world, but not distressed. Afflicted, but not aimless. Like sheep without a shepherd. Because we have a shepherd. And our shepherd is God Himself. It is Jesus. And this psalm teaches us about what kind of people our shepherd guides, the kind of people we need to be. And and this psalm is is different from some other psalms. There are no great shouts of acclamation in this psalm, like, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Your name in all the earth, Psalm 8. We don't get that in this psalm. It's kind of a calm psalm, quiet, kind of subdued. It's David seeking God because his enemies are pressuring him. David is calling out to God for divine guidance and there is this burden of guilt upon him that needs to be lifted. And who among us cannot identify with guilt that needs to be lifted? So we can identify with him that way. And Who hasn't felt pressure put on them maybe by some people who don't know the Lord or maybe by some people who claim to know the Lord but are living in disobedience? Maybe even by some who do know the Lord. And who among us does not right now need God's guidance? I mean, I need God's guidance right now. And so do you. Uh, Who among us has never felt guilty? All of that to say, this psalm is for everyone and anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord for salvation. God gives us Psalm 25 through the pen of this man after God's own heart. So, So having read the psalm, I want us to see some qualities. And this is not like one of my normal... Uh, sermons per se, but some qualities of people God guides. And there are nine of these that I want to go through this morning from our King Shepherd. And the first is this. And it's very simple. And and this is the overarching one if you want to say that one kind of overhangs all the other ones. God guides those who glorify Him. God guides those who glorify Him. You could call this the overarching principle. God guides those who glorify Him. David, right from the beginning, says he's not driven to call out to anyone other than God. To you, O Lord, to you, O Yahweh, I lift up my soul. He's not speaking to one of the gods of the Philistines or the the Amorites. It is a specific one. That's why I always like to say Yahweh instead of Lord. That's what it literally is from the Hebrew. Uh, I wish I'm still waiting for that English translation that does it right. Um, The older I get, the more perturbed I get by it a little bit. But it is Yahweh. It is a specific God. You know, we we live in a very pluralistic society where what what somebody believes is just as valid as what another person believes. When when we, we who are Christians and have a biblical worldview know that that's not true. While you might have a right to believe what you want to believe, that doesn't make what you believe necessarily true any more than it makes what I believe necessarily true 
My beliefs are true, I hope, I'm convinced, because I am resting on the authority of Scripture. Okay? Uh, I'm getting what I believe, and I'm hoping I'm communicating it correctly, because I believe in the authority of Scripture. And what that tells me here is that there is one God, there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, and He has spoken to us through His Word. And David here is writing Scripture. He, I don't know if he knows he's penning something that 3,000 years later we're going to look at as inspired by the Holy Spirit. But he says, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. And that in and of itself is very important for us to understand because as Christians, even as Christians, we seem so prone to look for answers to our problems and others' problems and the world's problems Apart from God. You know, we, we, even we, I say even we as if we're better than anyone. I don't mean to convey it like that. But even we who are Christians are so prone to look for answers apart from this. But I believe that, you know, I believe that's why so many Christians are, and I'll just say this, biblically illiterate. Because we have lost sight you know, we, we are quick to quote verses like 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, how all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for reproof, for correction, for teaching, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We're quick to quote verses like that. But how often do we live that out? You know, we are quick to say the Bible is God's Word, the Bible is inerrant, you know, most of us come from a, a Southern Baptist background, and let's see, today this is 2018. You go back 30, 40 years, our Southern Baptists were fighting over the inerrancy of Scripture. And, and for the most part, I believe Southern Baptists are convinced of the inerrancy of Scripture today, but I, what I don't believe too many who profess Christ are convinced of these days is the sufficiency of Scripture. Okay? And that, that, in my mind, is really where the battle lies. How often are we living as though God's Word is sufficient? There is nothing more inconsistent with sincere prayer to God than for that prayer to then waver and look elsewhere for answers, as if what this says isn't enough for us. You know, we see unbelievers do this all the time they, in their prayers they put on this facade of asking God for help, but all the while, they are by no means depending upon Him. But lest we judge others, you know, I, I suspect we're prone to do this as well, even when we don't realize we're doing it. Which is the reason why we always, always, always have to go back to the Bible, back to the Word of God, back to where God has spoken. And that's why David says, To you, O Yahweh, I lift up my soul. And the Hebrew there is actually in the future tense. I will lift up my soul. And what that shows is that by lifting up his soul, it's not just a one-time thing for David. It's not just a one-time thing where he was sitting in the back of a church sanctuary and he went forward at the invitation and raised his hand and signed the card and got dunked. It's not a one-time thing, us lifting ourselves up to God. For the, for the one who claims Christ, it's an every day, every minute type of thing. It has to be continuous. So David knew that he must always lift up his soul. 
with sincerity to God. It glorifies God when we acknowledge we are dependent upon Him. It glorifies God when we acknowledge that that He and no one else is the one we have to trust in. And it glorifies God when we make request of Him, like David did. Because it shows that we know He is the one who is able to affect change. Change in our circumstances. Change in our hearts. He's the one who affects that change. David prays in verse 2 that God would not let him be ashamed, or, or literally that God would not allow him to be put to shame. He prayed God would not allow his enemies to exult and triumph over him. He's praying that, that his enemies will fall and that he will not. And that, and that God will be glorified when those who reject him fall, when those who belong to him call upon God for, for guidance God is glorified when those who follow Him look to Him for guidance. God is glorified when those who don't are put to shame. God guides those who glorify Him. Secondly, we see that God guides those who wait for Him. God guides those who wait for Him. Verse 3, Indeed, none of those who wait for you will be ashamed. Those who deal treacherously without cause will be ashamed. And I kind of alluded to this already, but none who wait for God will be ashamed. You know, beloved, our our culture moves very quickly. And and it's speeding up. Um, The headlines today, the controversies today, I I could not comprehend. And I'm only 42 years old. It's not like I'm, I'm not too old yet. I'm feeling older every day, but of course, of course, I am older every day. Now that I think about that, it's sort of silly, but things are moving fast. The the controversies today I couldn't have comprehended 20 years ago, 10 years ago for some of them. But you know, technology moves and continues to move at such a rapid pace that you know we no longer have to wait for many of the things that used to take considerable time to do. You know, instead of mailing a check to pay a bill, you, you pull out your phone and touch it. Or maybe you can just look into it, okay? If you got the face ID on there. And because of that, we, I think, have, as a society and as individuals, we, we tend to be a little less patient than we used to be. If you want proof of that, come to my house the next time the internet goes out. <laughs> we get very impatient in my house when the internet goes out. Because... And my wife is touching my son's shoulder, but I'm just as bad, okay? Uh, We want things now. We want things done yesterday. We want our lives right now. So when it comes to even the most important things, the idea of waiting on the Lord is foreign to our 21st century sensibilities. We can take some comfort, I suppose, that this was also a problem 3,000 years ago, though. David makes it known... Those who wait on Yahweh will not be brought to shame. And he acknowledges that as fact. It is a fact. In fact, what else do we know? We know that patience is a fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's, so, because it's a fruit of the Spirit, and because we are those who have Christ, if I'm talking to someone who's a Christian this morning, 
you have Christ and you have the Holy Spirit in you, that means you, it's not an optional part of your character. You've got to be patient. You've got to learn patience and you've got to express patience. It is to be an inherent attribute of someone who belongs to Jesus Christ. God is, after all, very patient with us. Um, in one of the Psalms we looked at in the last hour, it talked about, uh, and I'm paraphrasing, how a day is like a thousand years to God. Well, there's another passage where that's used. Peter quotes that in 2 Peter 3. A day of the, Because people are questioning when the Lord's going to return. He says a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. But God is patient not wanting for anyone whom He is going to save to... He wants all of those to come to repentance. That's in 2 Peter 3. So God is very patient toward us. God is patient as, as a father, and we should be patient as His sons and daughters. As we've been adopted by God, we are to be patient. So, what does that look like? Well, maybe you go home and you pray. And you wonder, what good is this doing? Beloved, you are not wasting your time when you patiently wait upon God in prayer. When you patiently wait upon God by searching Him in the Scriptures. Oftentimes we think, what's the use? We we live in this give-it-to-me-now culture. But it doesn't make the Word of God any less true. Isaiah 40, 31 says that Should you wait upon Him, that is, patiently trust in God to to, to do good, to be right, to do right, to be faithful, He promises you will eventually soar like an eagle. That that you'll be up on wings like eagles. God, God guides those then who glorify Him and He guides those who wait upon Him. And it's those who aren't patient, those who don't wait for Him, those who are ungodly, expressing character contrary to Christ who will be brought to shame. So, thirdly, God guides those who ask. God guides those who ask. Verses 4 and 5. Make me know your ways, O Yahweh. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day. David's asking for things. David's praying to God here, that God might help him maintain a holy and righteous life. And that's something I think we could all ask for, that we all need help with, because it's God who sanctifies. We don't sanctify ourselves, God sanctifies us. We need His help. God helps maintain a holy and righteous life. So King David, he's this man after God's own heart. He's asking that he might remain firmly persuaded by God's promises. That he might remain persuaded. That he, that he might make me know your ways. Ways and paths are two common ways to refer to Scripture in the Psalms, to, to the Word of God. And so it very well could be that David is, is referring to make me know your Word. Teach me your Word. His request is to be led by God in His truth and continue to be taught. And, and, you know, we're pulled from all sides. You, you, sometimes we don't even realize how many sides we're being pulled from. Attacks from the world upon the Christian faith come to us from everywhere. 
not only, you know, our, our answers in Genesis stuff, a great deal of it focuses upon um, when you look at their ministry and some of the things they do. When we talk about apologetics, a lot of times we're talking about making a defense of the faith for those on the outside of the faith who are trying to undermine our faith in various ways. For instance, trying to undermine what the Bible says about creation. It would be the most obvious as it pertains to answers in Genesis. But, so, so we've got that. We've got people trying to shake our faith in what does the Bible say, what, what's right and wrong about sexual morality and immorality. Is there a such thing as sexual immorality? Is there a such thing as... Is, is this, is there a such thing as that? What's right and wrong and who determines it? But there are also attacks from within the church. And I'll, uh, I'm not even going to say I'll, I will submit. For, it's a fact that Paul was a lot more alarmed about attacks from within the church than those outside. And those are the ones we don't like to talk about quite as much. I mean, it's a lot... As important as those apologetics to those on the outside are, and they are very important, it's a lot more important. You know, judgment begins with the household of God, Peter writes. And, and Paul wrote, or Luke wrote, the words of Paul in Acts 20, where Paul is departing from the Ephesian elders for the last time. And he says, I know that after my departure... Savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Paul was saying to those men, some of you are going to be the problem. And that's not quite as easy to talk about. But it's happening. The church in many places and in many ways is being eaten from within. So it's important as it has ever been for God's people to ask, make me know your ways, O Yahweh. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth. Because it's so easy to divert from that. It's so easy to try to mix God's word with man's opinion, with the, with the way of the culture and what the culture thinks is right, so that maybe if we are a little more socially acceptable, more people will come through our doors, more people will give, more people will do this, more people will do that, and maybe we can reach them. That's not the way to look at it. Paul told those Ephesian elders, I did not hesitate to proclaim the whole counsel of God, not the whole counsel of God plus Paul. Make me know your ways, O Yahweh. Teach me your paths. The Word of God and prayer always go hand in hand. And and so it's not enough just to to pray, but if you trust in God's promises, which is what David was, was asking for, to be continued in Him, trusting God, take care of me, teach me, this is the best and most powerful means of standing firm for resisting temptation. If God is the God of your salvation, if you are prepared to wait for Him, if you ask Him, He will guide you. So fourth, God guides those who are clean. And these start to go a little bit faster, okay? 
God guides those who are clean. Verses 6 and 7. Remember, O Yahweh, your compassion and your loving kindnesses, for they have been from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your loving kindness, remember me for your goodness' sake, O Yahweh. God's loving kindness, His steadfast love, His saving grace. It's, it's a Hebrew word, chesed. It's kind of hard to... It's kind of like a, a chesed. Okay? But as, as ugly as that word sounds off of our American English-speaking tongues, it's a beautiful word. Because it describes the saving grace and loving kindness of God. Okay? God's steadfast love is the basis for His forgiving those with whom He has a saving relationship. These words in verses 6 and 7 describe God's character. In fact, they recall uh, His his revelation of Himself in in verses we've already read this morning that are in my notes from Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7, where Yahweh passed in front of Moses and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, chesed, and truth. Let me just add one thing about that verse that I, I find fascinating. We didn't read the verses before that. The verses before that are where Moses says, show me your glory. Okay? We sing songs that say, show me your glory. Third day, I think about... 18, 19 years ago, had a song, Show Me Your Glory. Okay? Um, what did God do? Anybody remember what God did? He, hit, he put Moses in the cleft of a rock so that he couldn't see anything. <laughs> and then what did he do? He spoke. It's not so much about Moses, what Moses saw that day because Moses didn't see anything. But God spoke, and that was the proclamation of His glory. It was the proclamation of who He was. Yahweh, Yahweh God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in chesed, loving kindness and truth. And He does indeed abound, abound, have an abundance of loving kindness, compassion and goodness. God is not so much concerned with the sins of your youth as He is your present condition before Him. You know, we tend to be much more concerned with our past than God is. I wish we could learn that lesson even more. You know, when we understand that God is ready for us to move on from our past a lot more than we are sometimes, we'll find victory over the guilt of our past failures when we begin to learn that lesson. Because we understand the grace of God. And we understand propitiation where Jesus has absorbed the wrath for that. And it's done. And this is what David prayed for. The removal of memories of his uncleanness by the washing over of God's love. His cleansing love. And God guides those who are clean. We need to want to be clean, beloved. Fifth, God guides those who submit to Him. God guides those who submit to Him. You know, in our culture, and, and not just in those who reject God, but, but I would say this is, this is true in evangelical churches as well, the idea of submission has become repulsive. It's, you know, maybe it evokes 
the the images of slavery from the the seventeen eighteen hundreds. And I've been reading, I've been listening actually to audiobooks on president presidential biographies, and they, you know, two of our first three presidents, Washington and Jefferson, are, are esteemed as these great men, and they they struggled with slavery. They owned them, but they recognized it as repulsive in, in, in what they wrote all the time. And maybe submission evokes memories of that. I, I don't know. Slavery in, in the Bible, the slavery that, that God calls us to, when, when Paul says, I'm a slave of Christ, it's not the same thing as that. Okay? And, and so submission has become repulsive to us. I think this is especially true in American Christianity where we're so in, individualistic, where we think you know everything's... Got to be democratic because, hey, we're in America. Uh, we're focused on freedom. It's very me-focused. You know, I'll, I'll talk to people about, I don't, should I, well, I'm already going there. I might as well go there. People talk about what they're looking for in a church. I, I got into a Facebook discussion about what people are looking for in a church. And, you know, they'll talk about the praise band and they'll talk about this and they'll talk about that. What you don't hear is, Solid preaching of the word. You know, um, what do they have for the children? I've heard that fifty times in my life, if not more. Not does the preacher preach the word of God, which is the most important thing. Every other thing that, by the way, let me just get. I'll get on my soapbox for just a second, and then I'll get back off and get back to this. <laughs> Everything else about a church is secondary. Faithfulness to preach the Word of God is way up here. Everything else is somewhere down here. Because if this is happening, this stuff tends to take care of itself. And sometimes it takes a lot of time for this to take care of itself, but it does. As long as this is constant. I'll get off my soapbox now. Submission is in the Bible. And let me just read again verses 8 through 15. Good and upright is Yahweh, therefore He instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble to justice and He teaches the humble His way. All the paths of, of, of Yahweh are loving kindness and truth to those who keep His covenant and His testimonies. For Your name's sake, O Yahweh, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. Who is the man who fears Yahweh? He will instruct him in the way he should choose. His soul will abide in prosperity and his descendants will inherit the land. The secret of Yahweh is for those who fear him and he will make them know his covenant. My eyes are continually toward Yahweh for he will pluck my feet out of the net. And you might be saying, where's submission there? He leads the humble in justice. He teaches the humble his way. God does not guide rebels. God saves rebels. God saves rebels, but He does not guide rebels. God saves you where you are. God does never, He never leaves you where you are. Okay? We are in the words of 1 Peter 1, verses 1 and 2, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood. 
God saves us where we are. He never, ever, ever leaves us where we are. God gives us new life by means of the gospel. He humbles us by showing us our sin and our need of Him, rather than, uh, you know, and so when, when He shows us that, we obey the gospel by faith. We become children of obedience rather than sons of disobedience, rebels. According to Psalm 32, 8, God instructs us and teaches us in the way we should go. He does this for the one, verse 1 of that psalm says, to the one he has forgiven transgression, the one to whom he does not impute iniquity. You know, my iniquities are not imputed to me, they're imputed to Christ. God changes us. He gives us eyes to see and ears to hear the shepherd and we hear his voice and he knows us, we know him, we follow him. And then the secret of Yahweh, verse 14, is for those who fear him and he will make them know his covenant. You want to know about God more? Then fear him. You want to know God more? Then then revere him and honor him as king. Submit to him. Obey His Word and He will make you know His covenant. He will teach you. He will guide you in His ways and use His Word and His people to reveal to you Himself. Verse 15 says, My eyes are continually toward Yahweh for He will pluck my feet out of the net. David's writing that as someone whose enemies were continually slandering him. They will say all kinds of junk about you, beloved. When you follow Christ... When, when you're a, a minnow swimming in the opposite direction of the tide, they will say all kinds of things about you. So often the troubles in our lives come among those who will not speak the truth or confess the truth or live the truth, but instead live in slander and seek to lay traps and catch others. And here David says, even though he might get caught up in their nets from time to time, He's keeping his eyes on God because he knows God will get him out of it if he is submitting, if he's following. That's what's what's going on here. So God guides those who submit to him. If we don't want to wander aimlessly like like lost sheep or goats, we have to keep our eyes on him and conform to his word. His word has to be supreme. The good shepherd has spoken in his word. He knows what he's doing. So we've got to submit to Him. And that doesn't just mean reading the Bible. But we've got to actually study the Bible. And make hard decisions, hard changes in our lives. Maybe about the things we believe going into reading. We've got to let that be our authority. Sixth, God guides those who are desperate. God guides those who are desperate. Verses 16 and 17. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. David's prayer is of someone who is desperate. Lonely, no one else to turn to for help. Afflicted by sin, by enemies, by confusion about what to do next. The troubles of his heart are enlarged. Beloved, it is not so uncommon for our troubles to become so large within us that we feel like we're going to explode. But that's not a bad place to be necessarily. 
the times in my life when I've been the most desperate have been times I've later looked back on and said, I learned how to rely on God better in that trial. God can bring you out of that. When you cry out to God with the desperate cry of faith, He can and He will bring you and guide you out of your distresses. God guides those who are desperate. Seven, God guides those who are contrite. 18 and 19, Look upon my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Look upon my enemies for they are many and hate me with violent hatred. In another psalm, another psalm of David, Psalm 51, verse 17, he writes, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. David's cry is of one who knows he needs forgiveness that only God can give. He's broken. He's contrite. Ask yourself this morning... Are you approaching God with a contrite heart this morning? Are you approaching Him with a broken spirit? Are you approaching God with with a reverence knowing that He is holy, holy, holy and you are the sinner? Like like we saw in Luke 18, the, the tax collector beating his breast, have mercy on me, the sinner. God's enemies are not contrite. David's enemies were not contrite. So so there's that contrast there. But that's the desire we've got to have, beloved. And it it comes from being broken by our sin. You know, we're quick to say, I'm a sinner. Yeah, of course I'm a sinner. We kind of blow it up. Yeah, of course I'm a sinner. Of course I'm not perfect. That's not being contrite. Mourning over your own sin is a good thing. If you, as long as you understand along with it that that sin's been nailed to the cross. And I don't want to do that anymore. And I don't have to do that anymore because of the power of God in me through His Spirit. So I come to you, God, broken and contrite, Lord. Guide me out of that. Guide me out of that addiction. Guide me out of that despair. Guide me out of that Fill in the blank. Guide me out of that gossip. Guide me out of that that state of mind. Eight, God guides those who are upright. Verses 20 and 21. Guard my soul and deliver me. Do not let me be ashamed, for I take refuge in you. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. There's wait again, isn't it? David asked God to to guard his soul. His salvation is secure. He's not worried about losing his salvation here, but he's praying that he might not stray from following the Lord. How many people do you know who have been seemingly following the Lord one minute and then they fall off the face of the earth? Scott will tell you and I will tell you as pastors, I've seen it way too much. And you probably have to. David trusted that God would deliver him. God guides those who are upright. I'm going to kind of speed up here because I know I'm kind of rambling. I've I've gone on a soapbox a couple times. Ninth, and this just kind of sums it up. God guides those who are His people. 
God guides those who are his people. Verse 22, David concludes, Redeem Israel, O God, out of all her troubles. So in just a few short words, it would seem that what David is doing here is applying his prayer for himself to the entire nation. And if you remember what the Bible says about Israel, they were a short-sighted, stiff-necked, obstinate people. But they were still whose people? God's people. His prayer for the nation has in it both a present and a future feel. As if he's praying for relief both immediately and perpetually. And ultimately, we can't be brought out of our troubles unless that's done by God. Ultimate relief can only be brought about by the one who sits on the throne of David, the King of glory, the King of kings. And just as David applied his individual prayer to his nation, there is a sense in which we can apply this prayer to the church, who are the people of God today. We must glor- that does not to say that God that Israel is not the people of God still because he is and we could get into a theological discussion about that later. But we must glorify God, beloved. We must not glorify ourselves. We must not seek to glorify a wake church. We must not seek to glorify our families. We must not seek to This is about God. We must glorify God. We must wait for Him. We must ask for help. We must be clean before Him. We must submit to Him. We must be desperate for Him. We must be contrite before Him. We must be upright before Him. For if we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone, we are the people of God. And the question we close with is, are you the kind of person... Are we the kind of people God guides? Is He guiding you today? Are you contrite in coming to Him? Are you upright before Him? Are you clean? Beloved, it's impossible if you have not repented of your sins. If you have not repudiated yourself, repudiated your own self-sufficiency, we saw it in 1 John 4 earlier, not that we loved God, but that He loved us. We don't love ourselves to God. We don't obey ourselves to God. He sets His love on us and changes us. And have you come to the point in your life where you repudiate your own self-sufficiency and you fall on your knees at the cross of Christ and entrust yourself to Him? He is our propitiation. So our sufficiency is not on our ability to be upright or contrite, it's on Jesus Christ, and we utterly depend on Him in these things. And if you've never come to Christ like that, I pray you will today. And if you are a Christian today, if you do belong to Christ, then the question is, am I living in accordance with what I believe? Am I living like someone God guides? Or do I need to come before Him today and say, God, I'm, I'm, I'm not... I'm not doing this right, and I need you to do it for me. Because it's only he, Him that can. I'm going to pray, and then we'll, we'll play the song, and, and you respond as God leads you. Rather you kneel, rather you sit where you are, rather you do whatever. 
but do it as someone God guides. Do it, whatever it is, to the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, You are our God, and we give You praise because You are our Creator. You are all-powerful. You are the all-powerful God. And we are not worthy of Your guidance. We are the sheep who have gone astray. We have gone our own way. We have wandered aimlessly in accordance with our own desires. But by Your grace and for Your glory and according to Your loving kindness, You are our shepherd. And You have come and claimed us through Your Son, Jesus Christ. You have blessed Your people with new life. You have given Your people the Holy Spirit. And now we just ask God, guide us. Guide us, O Thou great Jehovah, Yahweh. We want to be a people, Father, whom You guide. Convict the sinner here this morning, Father. Bring the contrite to a place of uprightness. Move in us and among us and through us so that as we go out in the world, we will not be moved by the culture, but we will be guided by Your authoritative and sufficient Word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.